today we have a great episode as well, and we're going to get you ready for it. So welcome. It is for your institution. Today's episode is um, going to be uh, great. It's engagement lessons learned. We're going to look ahead at 2023 with Scott Jessick. Scott is going to be coming on right now, and uh, we're going to welcome him to the broadcast. You, of course, know him from Inside Higher Ed. Scott, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I, some of you may know, um, I spoke at a Mongoose meeting a few years ago in Buffalo, and I love Buffalo because I'm a native of Rochester, New York, and so it was a great excuse. To, I saw my parents came, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I realize you are from all over the place, uh, although I see a few uh, from up, from upstate New York, so that's good, um, yeah. but wherever you're from, I, I really want to engage with you and talk about the top issues in admissions. Awesome. And I told Scott before the broadcast, that was actually my first day of working at Mongoose was Scott's keynote presentation at our Elevate uh, conference. So that was pretty cool to see the um, the Elvis of higher ed, as he has never been <laughs> called before, but uh, is being called today. So Scott, we never bury the lead here on For Your Institution. We want him to run through the top 10 admission issues. And afterwards, the questions will be open. So Scott, I'm going to be letting you do most of the talking, um, but I'm here to guide the conversation as is needed. But um, let's get at it. Let's go through the top 10 admissions issues. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to you, Scott. Thanks so much. So it's great to be here. And we're going to talk about the top 10 issues in admissions. So now we're going to get to the top 10. The first issue is still coronavirus. And I, I really feel bad about making this an issue because we all sort of hope it's over, even though we're reading now about it's coming back. Um, uh, and I don't know when it's going to really end. But for colleges, a lot depends on where you are. Um, some colleges are super strict about uh, COVID and ha have been super strict throughout. Others have been far less strict about COVID. Um, and this relates to lots of admissions issues, everything from whether you are welcoming students to your campus, uh, which is hugely important to most colleges with recruiting, um, or whether you've gone primarily to a video approach, or both, uh, whatever it is. Um, and the thing is, the thing about COVID, and we we're going to have a story tomorrow on our website, so you should check it out, is it's also influenced thinking about campuses whenever they have disease. Um, and I know nobody likes to think about that too much, but uh, campuses do have diseases and they have outbreaks, and uh, and they're they're going to happen. And so for admissions people, the important thing is to talk about, you know, yes, COVID is real, um, but um, the main thing is how to live with it is the main thing. And that you've got to get that idea out there to everyone, to scared parents. A lot of the times parents are more scared than the students, I think. Actually, that is probably a trend for lots of admissions issues, but um uh, it's still here, I'm afraid to say. So um, the, the rest of the, the presentation will be more fun. This is a great time to be at Harvard or Yale or Michigan or Berkeley if you work in admissions or engagement. Now, I didn't see, uh, I didn't see all the signups. I don't know if we have any Harvard or Yale people in attendance. But we have if, we have before at some point, so it is possible. Okay, well, that's great. But um, in many ways, they don't need to worry so much. And you know, they've got it made because everyone wants to go there. Lots of people, you know, say, Oh, I want to go to those institutions. They are have record numbers of applicants, and they can admit pretty much who they want. Um, so um, and this is just a brief slide to just acknowledge that most of the issues I'm going to talk about today are not about Harvard and Yale. They're about everyone else. So for regional colleges and universities, it is quite different. At many regional colleges, the past few years have been a struggle in terms of meeting enrollment goals. Uh, you all know that as well as I do. Um, and there's a ton of pressure on admissions departments. 
you all have my deepest sympathies with your situation. Because many times, even with the best of plans, you are, um, you know, you are yelled at by your presidents and your provosts. Why aren't there more students? Why aren't there more applicants? Um, and it may have nothing to do with the admissions office. Um, or it might, but you know, you don't know. But you are blamed nonetheless. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that you have a tough, tough job. Um, and uh, and now there are exceptions, which we'll get to later, where some colleges, based on their creativity or demographics, are doing well. And that's the other thing I want to say. No matter what your budget, no matter what your finance, no matter what your prestige, some colleges are going to do well. And how do you get in that group is obviously a main question. For community colleges, it has been a terrible time. Um, uh, I don't know how many, do, do we have many community colleges? We should, we always do. Okay, good. I mean, look, community colleges that are here obviously care about these issues and really want to, um, to, to do better. But the fact is community college enrollment is down two years in a row. And that is never a good thing for any college uh, particularly for a community college, because they get their money from the you know tuition revenue and state and local appropriations are based on enrollment. So they really don't want uh, to, to be losing students. The other thing is to remember is this is their mission. This is what they live to do. And yet they are having struggles with students. Now, a lot of that is in the economy. When when unemployment is as low as it is, you can get a good job at higher than minimum wage at, you know, any place. Um, and that makes it very hard to keep community college students. Um, and it's just a reality. Now, many of those jobs that they're getting aren't necessarily the kinds of jobs that you would want to build a career on, but for a community college student, they may seem great. And so that is just a serious problem. So transfer environment is hurting. Transfer enrollment is down 6.9%, second year in a row that it's dropped. And I wanna stress this because all of you should care about the transfer enrollment going down. Um, you all have transfer students or transfer potential students. And, you know, that is truly going to dry up, particularly because the students who would have transferred entered, would have entered two or th two or three years ago. They are not finishing. They're not graduating from community college and they are not transferring. That is a huge problem for many institutions that have worked very hard to get the transfer enrollment. Direct admissions. So here is, finally, you want, you want some good news? Here's some good news. Direct admissions has arrived. And it is, um, uh, briefly, I'll just explain, in direct admissions, the student doesn't apply to the college. The college looks at the students and just admits them. Uh, you can have, there are several businesses that are in the direct admissions business. The common app is in direct admissions uh, and individual colleges are. What they need is they need some sort of system so uh, to look for students. So you will look for students and they, and students put in their grades. Um, they put in test scores if they have them. They put in what they want to study or anything special about themselves. And the colleges then look at the students and admit them right now. Um, and that is a true reversal in the admissions process. Traditionally, um, now most colleges that are doing direct admissions are non-competitive colleges, are the colleges that aren't Harvard and Yale and Princeton. The colleges report that the students love the idea of direct admissions. And this is 
really amazing. Um, will competitive colleges find a way to embrace this idea? I think this is one of the biggest changes in admissions to happen very quickly that we've ever seen. Um, and I think it creates a lot of opportunities for all of you. Plus, it's important to remember, you can do direct admissions for a quarter of your class, a fifth of your class. Not You don't have to do it for everybody, at least at the beginning, although some colleges are. So um, this is a really important trend to get, uh, to get around. Okay, this one just broke in uh, the last uh, you know, few weeks. Are the rankings in danger? Now, I know most of you would probably be thrilled if the rankings died even. Um, uh, a lot of, there are so many problems with the rankings. There are so many good colleges that no one pays attention to really um, just because of their ranking. And that's terrible. Um, and, you know, there's also the issue that in doing rankings, it assumes that some colleges, the, the 17th and some colleges is the 18th and the 19th best college. That's <coughs> just not true. Uh, college is about individual students. And the best college for, you know, for Joe is not the best college for Sally and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what's happened? The law schools are really getting involved against, uh, against rankings. Yale has won the U.S. News rankings in law schools for 30 years, 30 years straight. And they said, we're not going to participate anymore. Then that same day, Harvard said they wouldn't participate anymore. Um, and a bunch of other colleges, including public colleges, um, got involved and said, no, you know, this is not good. Now, what everyone's really waiting for, though, is undergraduate colleges to decide, um, you know, because for Yale to decide to give it up, well, they were the law school. They're the best law school. And yet they uh, are, are going to skip the rankings next year. Um, no one knows quite what U.S. News is going to do. U.S. News told me they're going to continue to rank these law schools, but no one knows quite how. Um, there is some belief by some people that this will prompt undergraduate colleges to similarly rise up against the rankings. Now, the undergraduates colleges would probably act in the spring. The law schools get all their information to fill out their forms now. So it was really uh, you know, an issue for the law schools. But um, who knows what will happen? Standardized tests are fading. Most colleges are admitting students without requiring the SAT or the ACT. 1,800 of those colleges, um, uh, four-year colleges, are going without testing this year. That is an amazing change from pre-pandemic. Now, the big, the big thing to remember is when they first went test optional, they said, oh, well, we have to be test optional because our students can't get a test. Um, but now any student can get a test and they still are staying test optional. Now, MIT and Purdue got a lot of attention when they announced that they are requiring the SAT or the ACT, and that's fine. Um, MIT based its decision on its curriculum. Most students at MIT, well, every student at MIT has to take calculus. Um, that is rare in American higher education. Um, and so, you know, it's very much based on what they had, what they're teaching. Um, but so they dropped it. I think we're going to continue to see a post-standardized test world right now. Affirmative action is in danger and colleges are not ready for this. Um, on uh, Halloween, the Supreme Court heard the case. 
And judging from what the justices said, it is extremely hard to imagine UNC or Harvard winning the case. Um, the justices were very skeptical, or most of the justices were very skeptical of affirmative action. Now, you don't know for sure until the decision comes out sometime this spring, but it is, uh, I, I, I'm not a betting person, but if I were, if I had to make a bet on this case, I would bet that affirmative action is going to lose. And this is a huge effect on higher education. Even if your institution doesn't have admissions like Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill, if you have, say, a program for Latina women in science every summer, guess what? You may not be able to have that program in the future. Um, and in an, on admissions, there will be a trickling down of the talent. Those who don't get into their top schools will apply to different schools. So there's going to be a bunch of changes. Um, the main thing is that I don't see colleges really doing anything about, about this coming change that is going to be very traumatic for them. Um, and so I would expect uh, this will be a problem for colleges and uh, and and uh, it's important to get ready for it uh, now that the Supreme Court has heard the case. International students remain uncertain. Um, and this is uh, weird because the, um, the the there was just the open annual open doors report by the Institute for International Education that says that the numbers are up this year, but they're still not up where they should be. Um, China, in particularly, is down in sending students to the to the United States. Now, partly it's COVID and related visa issues, but partly it's because our relations with China are not so good right now. Um, India is is about to overtake China on the mar in the market, and also international students who are already in the United States are incredibly highly sought. There are a number of international students who go to high school in the United States. They are very, very much in demand. Okay, so despite everything, some colleges are having great years in admissions. Now, this is SUNY Oswego. And if you look at their numbers, you see that their applications are a bit down from where they were in um, 2018. Um, but what's amazing is how many students they got. They got 1,571 students up from, you know, a th just about 1,000 last year. And it was because they just made everyone care about admissions. They got faculty members involved. They, you know, they, they, they got it so that a student who showed up in Oswego, and for those of you who aren't big on upstate New York geography, um, Oswego is in the eastern shore of Lake Ontario. It's I, I, it's quite beautiful there, but um, people don't grow up across America saying, I want to go to Oswego. They just don't. And so Oswego did a bunch of things. They got Al Roker, who did go to Oswego, to write a letter. Um, you know, that, that's another thing they did. And my point is that you can succeed if you do it right. It's real hard. And I know you all getting ideas, hopefully, um, from this presentation or from other presentations. Um, you can succeed, but it's going to be tougher than ever. So that is my presentation. And now I'd like your questions. Awesome. I will tell you, Scott, that uh, I'm a Buff State Bengal. And I uh -huh. did play-by-play -play for the hockey team, and we played Oswego, and I got to travel to their campus. We lost the game 6-1, to one, but I was someone that said I would go to school because um, it's, it's a beautiful area, and I see we it's, have an upstate New Yorker in the chat. You know, Yes. Uh, it, love that so, campus. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a great campus. Um, that was great. That was very detailed. And I, of course, have questions, but I want to give our um, community here at FYI um, the uh, 
the opportunity to ask the questions first. And we do have a couple in the chat. So we're going to bring on our producer, Lexi Croisdale, um, to start doing that. So let's get some questions ready for Scott. Lexi, how are you? I am good, Greg. Thank you. I didn't you. even say hi to you yet, have I? <laughs> <laughs> not not an FYI. <laughs> um, so our first question is coming from Angela, and this was related to point number five, Scott, you made on direct admissions. They want to know, do you think direct admissions could work at a two-year technical slash community college? Absolutely. Um, uh, and I think many community <laughs> colleges are thinking about it, and a few have joined in. In Minnesota, they made it possible for every college in the state, public, private, two-year or four-year, to get involved in their direct admissions experiment, and they've got community colleges participating. You know, look, a community college that primarily serves people uh, only from their local community can just say, we want to, to get students from the local community to apply. Um, I think it, it, they they haven't been the first to experiment with it, but they are doing it this year, and I think it's going to work for them. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense. Awesome. I know, Lexi, um, that this topic um, is bringing up more questions, so let's keep going with that. Yeah, Julia has a similar question. If you think that direct admissions could work for online MBA programs. There is no reason it can't. Um, the the people who are some people are writing off direct admissions and they are the Harvard and Yale crowd because they you know they just love to reject lots of people and you know it's just the truth that they measure their success in part based on admitting only a small percentage of those who apply so they're not into it but if you are an online mba program that is not like that that um, then I think it makes perfect sense to do. And, um, uh, you know, and if you try it, uh, write to me and let me know how it goes, because I'm going to want to do more stories. Mm, well, uh, Carrie has put it in the chat, um, a link to something that might interest you. So make sure you click on that link and uh, um, maybe add to your story from that. Lexi, we have a couple of people commenting on this as well, do we not? Yes, yeah. So Carrie's um, comment about her work at a Minnesota community college participating. Mary also added their experience. We're doing direct admissions with the community college into our partnership with the university. If they graduate at the two-year, they have admission. Great uptick for this. That That is great. I mean, you know, guaranteed admission to the university is a common way for community colleges to get students. Uh, to do it with direct admissions makes perfect sense. Yeah, and so one more question on direct admissions from Kevin um, asking, does direct admissions take away from the selection? Um, it doesn't have to. Look, the admissions officers aren't admitting everyone they look at. They're seeing the students, seeing do they have what it takes to succeed at my college or university. Um, now, the other thing is, well, they the college can admit them directly. The college can also send a message and say, we think you might be good for us, but only if you can also provide us with this information. So it it really changes the admissions mindset because the admissions counselors are not spending all their time just looking at applications. They're spending more time talking to the applicants about what they want to do at college. And for many, that is a great change uh, in what they do. Awesome. So um, we don't want to um, only have a, a question. We, we, we have some great questions so far. We don't only want to talk about direct admissions. We want all departments covered because we do get um, our audience uh, members full of people from all kinds of different uh, departments uh, on campus. So make sure your questions continue in for Scott. I did want to ask a question. Um, it's kind of community college based, but it, it can be based on any institution. And it has to do with the economy. Um, you mentioned how hard community colleges have been hurt for the past two years. I think anyone who's been on LinkedIn or has been reading the news, and I know Scott, you're always up on the news, would know this, that the economy shifting a bit. How long do you think that trend 
carries over to higher ed where folks start to seek more, not only um, technical and community college degrees to um, improve their own standing, but um, at any institution. How long do you think that trend with the economy takes to um, impact higher ed? So typically higher ed is a little slow to be impacted. And, um, you know, in the great recession in 2008, it was about six months in that higher ed started to feel it. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's possible. The, the other thing is because community colleges should still be getting the, those students. They should be getting students, you know, training in technical fields and health professions um, for jobs that are truly careers, not just jobs. Um, and, uh, and they should absolutely be doing that. Um, and I think it's going to take time, though. Okay, thank you. Um, so again, get your questions in for Scott if you'd like to. Um, I want to touch on something now. It, it, uh, we talked about direct admissions, and you referenced in your presentation about how students like direct admissions. It makes the process easier, and anything that can make a process easier would be beneficial for the students. Um, you did not have it in your presentation, but it was um, something you wrote about on Inside Higher Ed. I wanted to get your take on the Paying for College Transparency initiative that you oh, yeah. that kind of just happened. And I know there's yeah. a lot to be figured out with that, but um, do you think that there'll be an impact with that as early as 2023? Um, I think it's possible there's going to be legislation in 2023. It would probably take a year or two for it to take effect. But basically, this is, uh, you know, just yesterday, there was a report out by the GAO that said that colleges are not following best practice in telling students how much they have to pay to go to college. It would seem an obvious thing uh, because they want to get that money, but they, they the colleges are not um, using the best approach to explaining that. And Representative Virginia Fox of North Carolina uh, is proposing legislation that would require colleges to, to be sure they say certain things. This legislation has been propo <coughs> proposed before. Um, I don't know why it hasn't passed, but um, it could pass now. I don't see, well, Virginia Fox is a Republican and normally uh, criticizes colleges. There is a lot of support for the legislation from Democrats as well. So this could pass. Okay, interesting. Uh, Lexi, did we get to Rachel's question in the Q&A? I uh, wanted to make sure that we had the questions. We're caught, we're caught up on the Q&A in the box. Yeah, we did okay. not. So I'll go ahead and circle oh. back to now. Rachel asks, if we go to test optional, what other criteria is used for admitting? Um, at her institution, we currently admit with transcripts and test scores. Would the test scores need to be replaced? Is it suggested that an essay be required? Um, and what, what institution is that? Rachel, if you want to come on live and tell us or drop it in the chat, please feel free. And if you don't want to be specific, just yeah, four years, two years, yeah. something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so um, the answer is everything. Some colleges are just dropping the SAT and ACT requirement. <laughs> Some are um, doing a lot to make sure that they have the information they know. Some are asking for a graded essay in high school uh, with the teacher's marks on it so that they can see an essay that they know was written for a teacher uh, and, you know, so they can have a sense of it. Uh, many colleges are requiring essays, um, but many colleges aren't because the fact is, at most colleges, the test scores are not a factor, are not a major factor um, in who gets in. And uh, Rachel did provide the institution. It's Hannibal LaGrange University. So Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if Hannibal LaGrange truly admits a lot of students on the SAT or ACT. Scott, this is terrifying for me, for you. Like you have to be ready to answer uh, not only every single department on campus, but every kind of institution. Do you ever not like wake up and read the news? Every, like you have to be on top of everything at all points in time and ready to write and react on it. 
Uh, yes, we yes we do at Inside Higher Ed. Now I'm not alone, so that's great. Of um, but um, but with my colleagues, we have to be. It happens that I have the morning shift, um, mm. which starts at 3 a.m. Uh, so it's really morning. And um, and the first thing I do is search for news on higher education. Um, I have a Google News search and check the major newspapers um, and see what we missed the night before. I worked the newsroom, so I know the feeling. Of course, <laughs> I did it pre-internet. It was great. So we'd wake up every morning and at 3 a.m. and check the fax machine. So at least you get it in your inbox. You don't yes. even have to go into work to check it. Uh, that's great. Uh, and as we uh, talk about the questions uh, coming at you, more are rolling in. So Lexi, let's get right to those questions. Yes, Kevin asked the question, does the increase in minimum wage impact a student's decision to defer to attend college? For example, Walmart is hiring workers for its distribution center outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming for $33 an hour as starting wage. Wow. Does that have an impact on the decision there? Yes. I mean, that is a phenomenal wage for that kind of job. Um, and for that kind of job anywhere, I would say, um, let alone in Wyoming. Um, the fact is that students at community colleges and also at four-year colleges um, you know, can't help but notice the wages. Um, and, and there and there many of them are going to go with a a salary like that. Um, the the thing the thing that you need to constantly be telling people is, are you going to a job that leads to a career? And a community college can be better than that. Now you bet might have to just be telling people that um, take the job part time and come to school part time. Uh, you might not succeed uh, in convincing everyone to go full time. But um, yes, oh my God, I had not heard of that particular wage. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, the uh, title of the uh, program today is Engagement Lessons Learned when you look at it 2023. And um, I'm going to uh, pick brain, Scott's brain on this a little later, but um, that's a huge engagement tip is know what your audience is going through. As they're on their way to your institution, if they're commuting, they'll pass by signs like that on the side of the road. Yeah. Tell them what else they could be doing. So keep that in top of mind in your communications with um, your prospective students and current students. So uh, Lexi, I know we have another question. Let's get to it. Yeah, so Donna wants to talk about the transfer admissions being down, as you had mentioned when you went through the issues. Are you saying that fewer students are transferring between colleges or fewer are advancing to a four-year from a two-year school? Also, are they discontinuing their education after two years? Um, all of the above. Um, they are not transferring. They are not finishing a community college. Um, and they are abandoning their educations. This is really serious stuff, people. Um, the those students were if they the, the students who do transfer are great students uh, and they are doing well. Um, though these are students who are just not doing it, and um, and you've got to get out there and try to convince them uh, to to come. There was a, um, a guest we had on a previous episode, and I can't remember exactly which guest it was, but they talked about circling back um, with the students that you may have lost. They, they could be doing very well, but they could be not. So always trying to stay top of mind for um, the folks that might reconsider, um, you know, your institution. Yeah, that, that actually is an important, tr another trend is specific programs around that. Many, uh, uh, not just community colleges, four-year colleges, and states have specific programs for those who have dropped out. Many dropouts are just a few credits from graduating, and they really can do it if they get some help. Awesome. Okay, Lexi, let's keep rolling. I know we have some more in. Yeah, I want to share some of the comments um, related to the, the wage impacts of competing with starting wages. So a lot of people are agreeing. Janie, who is in Kansas City, has seen wages on jobs that you can't get without a bachelor's degree impact students' interest in attending, but even more dramatically impact our ability to hire on-campus student workers as they can make so much more money working off-campus. Their admissions office struggles a lot with this. 
as we can't run our office well without our student ambassadors. Yeah, always making your students a part of your engagement plan um, uh, is a good idea, but you know, could be harder based on that example. What one thing you can stress is the convenience of having a job on campus. Um, it does help students to know that, you know, this is just, you know, just a, a few halls down from where they where they're hanging out. Um, but it is harder now. That's good with the price of gas, right? You know, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. We're, we're learning engagement lessons. Go ahead, Lexi. I love it. Um, Christine's question, she says, my program works with college access slash entry and a big part of our student base comes from traditionally marginalized groups. How do you think the future of affirmative action will affect our students and their future? Is there something we could and should do to help prepare? That's a very good question. So in terms of helping to prepare for that, you need to look at what are the criteria for students to get into your program? Um, is it, and, and, and make sure that the criteria are not just focused on race and ethnicity, which could be outlawed soon. But nobody has said that it is illegal for colleges to focus on low-income students or students who have never gone to college or students whose families haven't gone to college. All of that you can do. Um, the problem is race and ethnicity. Um, now, I, I don't want to imply that that will make it easy because in the states that eliminated affirmative action, like California and Michigan, when they first did it, their African-American enrollments at the flagship universities uh, just diminished to practically nothing. They weren't nothing, but they were very low. And in California, which some people are pointing at California and saying, oh, this shows how good it is. Well, it is only sort of good because California, California colleges have a lot of Latino students uh, and there's been huge growth in Latino students, which is great. But if you look at the population, it's not near what the California population is. So um, that, it's sort of a false argument to say that California shows it's good. California shows it's gonna be hard. Our next question is from Donna. Um, they've also heard that far fewer male students are choosing to go to college. Do you have any suggestions for that? That is true at every type of college. Um, you know, when it started, it was most prevalent at community colleges, then historically black colleges, <laughs> then, but it's everywhere. Um, there are colleges these days that consider 40% male enrollment to be good. There are colleges that consider one third male enrollment to be good. This is very dangerous for colleges. Um, it's dangerous in lots of ways. Um, one of them is Title IX. Um, and the um, if you are way down on your male students, uh, you and then you also want a football team and a basketball team, that can be problematic. Um, but the real reason we should be concerned is because this affects the, the purpose of any college. Um, you know, some colleges have said that they are practicing affirmative action for male students. Many college, more colleges have said, we are going to really go after them and go after them however many times they say no. Um, and that that will, um, you know, th th and they hope that that will work. Judging by the last, last statistics I've seen, it has not yet worked on a national scale. Wow, and a statistic that just came through, um, just uh, the small sample size of our audience, but uh, um, uh, late, uh, Lexi, I see a, a comment that just came through on that. Yeah, 40% is high at small LAC, especially. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, so um, I'm going to jump to Angela's question next because it's related to the topic we're talking about that around historically black colleges and universities seeing an uptick in enrollment. Why do you think they are seeing increases while non um, HBCUs are seeing declines? So um, the, the trend is real. Um, it's happened. You know, Howard has become very popular. Morehouse, Spelman, lots of HBCUs that uh, are attracting a lot of students. Um, and I think it's because some Black students uh, look at the racial incidents that are taking place at predominantly white institutions or other institutions and don't want to deal with it. And who can blame them um, uh, if, if they're going to be treated poorly? Um, and so that they are moving with that. Now, the affirmative action case is likely to lead to more racial incidents. In the past, when the Supreme Court has considered uh, affirmative action, that has led to more racial incidents. Um, but the reality is HBCUs are great institutions, but they don't have the money of, of the Ivy Leagues, of the other institutions. So the people who are going there are making a tough decision based on, the, on what they think is right for them, um, even though they rarely can match the money uh, at uh, prestigious universities. So um, one of the purposes of higher education is uh, not only to educate, of course, but to um, provide a workforce for um, communities and the economy. And uh, Lexi, Mary's question um, uh, speaks directly to this. Yeah, so Mary added some context too. She works at an open door admissions community college in Texas. And her question is, how can admissions work with Walmart, Amazon, et cetera, to partner so the students don't choose full-time with great pay? Amazon is doing tuition re re reimbursement, but I fear students will try and work full-time and go to school full-time, which for most, especially first-gen students, is very difficult and impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the evidence is that those who go to community college or a four-year college full-time uh, really cannot have a full-time job. Um, it's just impossible when you think about it. It's two full-time jobs. Um, it's just not possible. Um, now, a full-time student can work, um, the, the research sort of varies, about 10 hours a week, and it, that can be a positive thing for the student uh, in terms of their financial planning and other planning. So, you know, it's not that, that I'm against working while you're in college. I worked, lots of people worked. It's, it's, it's totally fine. Um, but I would suggest that you talk to Walmart and Amazon or whoever you can about the idea of part-time work and part-time enrollment. Um, that can get the students getting, you know, it may get enough uh, work to, um, you know, to, th that it can mean something to their economics, but not so much that uh, it, it hurts the academics. Yeah, I have a kind of a, a tangent to that, and it's related um, to that. Like you have students that are, you know, just trying to pay for college and working, and along with that, something that's become um, it was was always important, but has become even more important in the past two or three years is uh, uh, mental health and supporting. And just yeah. talk about the importance of like uh, school supporting these students that are going through all of that and trying to work full time jobs and that just to uh, to afford their their, their education. Definitely. That's um, super important, and I know you've um, written a bunch on that yes. in the past at, um, at Inside Higher Ed, yeah. Um, Lexi, we have a couple more that just came in, I believe. Yeah, Donna is curious, what kind of trends, if any, are you seeing in retention rates at four-year schools? So retention gets more attention when, uh, when students are um, in short supply, because a student you've got is uh, much easier and costs less to uh, retain than it costs to get a new student. That's just the reality. Um, so I'm hearing more and more colleges talk about retention, pledge to do something about retention, but I also see, and, and, and in some cases improve retention. 
I don't know if we have anyone from the Cal State University system uh, in this chat, but Cal State, throughout the Cal State system, they have truly changed retention rates. And so they're graduating now at a much higher rate. But that is hard work to do, and it's expensive to do. It involves financial aid. It involves having enough counselors, et cetera. So it's not easy to do. But where possible, some colleges are doing that. But at many colleges, um, the retention rates are embarrassing, to be honest. Um, they, 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 are very, they are low. And, um, and you know, and I, I think I think the colleges are really regretting that. See Columbus State. I don't see Cal State, but it's possible that they're there as well. Um, I know we have one more question queued up. Lexi, go ahead. Yeah. So Michelle asks, how can career readiness slash workforce development opportunities be leveraged? It, very easily right now, um, with students hearing about the high wages they can get, et cetera. Um, they want career help. They want career readiness. They want to know what they're going to get in a job. Uh, at liberal arts colleges that um, are, are struggling a little bit with enrollment, one of the things they're doing is they're listing everyone's job by major. So you can look in the philosophy majors and the art history majors where people assume that they're all unemployed, but they're not. And they'll say, we have two students doing this, three students doing that, and so forth. Um, I think the more career ready that you can have your students, the better. Lexi, um, I'm going to use a phrase for Scott, and hopefully it prompts a story in his head for the next question we're about to read. And that was demonstrating value. And I want to see if this gets Scott where I think it might get him, but go ahead and read Catherine's question. Yeah, so Catherine says, um, I'm at a smaller four-year institution in Alabama. Ever since COVID, we have had a decreasing yield in enrollment. We accept thousands of students, but are lucky to see a 17% yield. We do on and off campus events that don't see great turnout, as well as email communication campaigns. What ways would you suggest to keep students engaged from the acceptance stage to registering for classes? So uh, demonstrated value um, is, the, is the key. Um, but the other thing is you need to start working on yield before you've even accepted students. Um, SUNY Oneonta, I referenced, they were setting up meetings for students with potential faculty members. And they sent faculty members to Buffalo, to New York City, throughout the state to try to connect with students. And these were faculty members, not just admissions people, nothing against admissions people, but you know the faculty are who uh, someone goes to college uh, to interact with. Um, and they turned it around, but they turned it around because they had the entire campus focused on it, not just, uh, you know, not, not just admissions or just a faculty member. Um, and that's saying yield starts before students have even applied. Uh, you need to, to focus on yield, focus on engaging the students, calling the students. Um, now you don't want to pester the students too much and you want to let let a student can honestly say i've decided to apply to this other college instead of yours whatever and that can be fine but to have a constant message uh seems to work the example i was thinking of and i can't remember the institution was they had uh, applied students and their families participate in a community event um, oh. before they were even admitted what was the name of that institution duquesne duquesne du that was it. it yes duquesne and it, it was great they that that the, the this was during admitted students uh day or whatever for students to come to campus and they did a uh, one of their events where they were serving, preparing meals for people who don't have meals, um, you know, which is a great thing to do, but you don't normally think of it as something to do when, um, you know, when you're trying to recruit a student. But Duquesne really does care about that. And, um, and they found that the students working together 
uh, and they raise their uh, yield. It's great. I love, I love that story because it also says a lot about your institution. Like this is what yeah. we are about. If you like that, then you belong here. So it's it's about belonging. It shows belonging. It shows character. Yeah. Um, and, and it shows character in the students as well. So I love that story. I, sorry, I took you on a journey there. Uh, That's but okay. I couldn't remember the name of the institution. I knew you would. So Duquesne, is that Illinois? Are they near Chicago? No, no, no. P Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That's right. Okay. Uh, uh, Slip my mind. Okay. Um, I don't know if we have any more questions. Um, if we do get one in for Scott as we're just about to say goodbye. And um, I love the questions that have come in. Um, thank you so much. So um, Scott, just in case no more questions come in, um, I know you had your list of 10 things for 2023. Any key takeaways? If someone came in today, what's the one takeaway you want them to know heading into the new year? You know, I, I was really struck by the number of questions I got on direct admissions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Everyone knows about the affirmative action decision. Uh, it's gonna come, it's gonna probably be bad. But direct admissions, I was, I was excited by the interest because it suggests that colleges are gonna look for the ways they can make a difference in students' lives. And that's what makes admissions and enrollment, you know, fun and rewarding to people. So I would, you know, focus on that and see what your college can do. Awesome. Thank you so much. So Lexi is going to put in um, uh, some information if you want to get um, just into Scott's circle. I, I, I would find it hard to believe anyone here isn't already signed up for the newsletter at InsideHigherEd.com. That should be coming into your inbox. But just in case, we're going to put some links. Um, find Scott on LinkedIn and definitely subscribe to that newsletter. Scott and his team are working so hard over there. They're up at three in the morning, folks, getting the news out there. So um, make sure you have that in there as well. Um, Scott, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your expertise with our audience today. Thank you. Great to meet you all. All right. Thank you very much. In two weeks, don't forget, we have another episode of FYI for your institution coming your way. It is, of course, brought to you by Mongoose, makers of Higher Ed's premier engagement platform, which is Cadence. Um, two weeks from now, we're going to have a celebration of the year that was. So a chance to ask us anything. We're bringing, uh, bringing back past guests that have already confirmed to be on. So, and it's going to be a celebration. We're going to have prizes. Lexi's going to, um, uh, have, I, we have prizes ready, don't don't we, Lexi? Yeah, we've got prizes and I've got some trivia questions for all of our FYI attendees. So whether this was your first time or you're going to, you've joined us for several episodes, come and have your chance at winning some fun prizes. They'll, they'll be easy enough for you. Can, you can look them up and find them. <laughs> Thank you, Lexi, uh, for your help today. And thank you, uh, everyone, for joining us. So from everyone here at Mongoose, um, have a great day. 